Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. An exchange-traded fund, or ETF, is like a basket made up of stocks, bonds, or any kind of asset you can invest in. ETFs cover a wide range of options, giving investors exposure to many investments. So just what are the different types of ETFs on the market? And what does Fidelity bring to the table that's unique from our competitors? Etienne Jean-Cabouchard, ETF strategist, joins host Brian Borsakowski today to break down the latest ETF trends, including potential industry changes. This includes reflecting on the growth of the ETF industry over time, where flows have been going lately, and what Etienne sees ahead. Today's podcast starts at the basics, but for more detailed insights from Etienne, you can look up his podcast series, The Fidelity ETF Exchange, released under this Fidelity Connects banner. This podcast was recorded on May 16th, 2023. And as always, be sure to speak with a registered financial advisor for all your investment needs. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Brian. Great, uh, great to be back here in this, uh, you know, recording studio and to, to share some information with our investors and, and advisors on the line. So, so let's start off with kind of the ETF markets. The last few years have been really great uh, for Canadian ETFs, record-breaking uh, kind of sort of success. Um, and uh, why is that? Why are we seeing such interest in ETFs? Well, there's there's probably a lot of things to, to to unpack there, but you know it has been like you said some really really solid years for the Canadian ETF industry. We're up to about 375 billion in assets uh, in Canada alone uh, as of the end of you know as of the end of April. Uh, that's coming off of like you mentioned three really strong years. So the rec- record breaking year 2020, 2021, and 2022 were the three best years in history. With last year about 35 billion in net new assets coming in. So uh, continuing off growth that really picked up post 2008, 2009. So post great financial crisis, the ETF vehicle um, became very popular among investors. And I think there's a few main reasons for that. First of all is, is just choice, right? There's so many different ETFs out there that there's really is something for everyone. Uh, so regardless of, you know, your, your investment style as an, as an investor, uh, you know, whether you're looking for very niche type products where you want something very core, you just want a, you know, simplified, diversified, um, you know, kind of portfolio. There's those, there's those also. Um, and so that, I think that's the number one thing driving there. Another, another thing is also, you know, ease, ease of access. So it's, it's fairly easy to trade, right? You get access to them on various, uh, brokerage platforms. You can get through, through your financial advisor. Um, you know, it's a very simple vehicle to trade. It's very much like a stock would be, uh, with even greater benefits to a certain extent, which we can get into later in terms of liquidity and things like that. But, uh, so ease of use, choices. And then, you know, lastly is fees. So a lot of ETFs, 
generally offer uh, lower fees. Uh, and that's, you know, also dependent on the type of ETFs that you're getting. Uh, but, you know, on average, you tend to see uh, some options, at least that offer uh, discounted fees. We should acknowledge uh, that the ETF actually started in Canada. I mean, it's taken a bit of time for it to pick up here, but the first one was made uh, made right here in, in Toronto. Yeah, absolutely. That So a little history lesson there, which is great, right? Because we always, it seems like we attribute the success of the ETF to our American neighbors to the south. Uh, because of the the growth that they've seen in their industry and just the sheer size of their market, right? So as like a rule of thumb, usually it's about 10 times, you know, pretty much uh, the size of, of, of Canada in terms of, of markets. Um, it's very similar actually on the ETF side. Uh, but in Canada, we launched the first real ETF, uh, which was the TIPS 35. So the Toronto Index Participation Shares 35, which basically gave you exposure to the 35 largest Canadian companies unfortunately, didn't really get a lot of love, right? It wasn't so popular. And I think that's uh, the main reason behind that is that there wasn't much uh, exposure for retail investors, right? It was it was more of a product that was focused towards institutional investors and uh, just didn't really pick off. And then what really kicked uh, kickstarted the, the industry is uh, the introdu- introduction of spider ETFs in the U.S. with, uh, you know, SPY being still one of the largest ETFs in the world, if not the largest still. And I just don't want to, you know, be hundred percent sure on that. Don't quote me, but uh, it is still one of the largest ETFs and it tracked the S&P 500. Um, so, you know, the growth really kicked off there and it's been growing at more than, you know, 15% annualized rate in Canada, at least for the past 15 years. So, uh, you know, now we're, we're catching up and, and we're getting there, but uh, yeah, Canada was innovative in that sense. We're a little bit more lenient here in Canada, right? So. <laughs> Um, Let's talk a bit more about the benefits of ETFs, because one thing that has been uh, interesting that I've seen is that um, ETFs seem to do well in all sorts of markets. You mentioned 2020 was a record-breaking year. Um, Even this year, there's been some good months where the market's been volatile. 2020, obviously the pandemic, the big market crash, people were nervous, yet that was a record-breaking year. So so why do ETFs seem to perform well, um, or at least, you know, from an asset perspective, uh, people interested in ETFs kind of in any market condition? Mm-hmm. So uh, b- before I get into to that answer, I think it's it's really important what you mentioned there is when you, you know, di- uh, differentiate performance and, and then asset yeah. growth. Right. So uh, you can get a lot of purchases and, and do well in a, in a product that from a performance standpoint, in your portfolio maybe was down. Right. So I think uh, when, when we say ETFs have done well, I think it's really important to say, especially through like the pandemic, you know, there's some ETFs that gathered assets, but were down 10, 15, 20 percent. And it, so it really just depends on the strategy that you were using. But it comes back to my uh, my, my comment on choice. Right. Because there seems like there's always an option out there to 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 accommodate the way that investors are trying to position their portfolios. So if we go back to, say, uh, 2020, uh, you know, you saw what had been doing well, continued to do well through the COVID-19 pandemic. So kind of those large cap tech, uh, you saw kind of the more growth side of the market on the equity side, at least do better. Uh, so you have ETFs, for example, that you can focus on, you know, the technology sector. You can focus on the NASDAQ index, which is, you know, more tech heavy and healthcare heavy. Uh, on the flip side, last year, when, you know, fixed income markets were, were struggling because we saw higher interest rates, well, there's also ETFs that offer you exposure to, you know, money market or um, high interest savings uh, or ways to basically go to cash, but to use an ETF to do that. 
So there's really just so many different ways that you can position your portfolio with ETFs dependent on market conditions um, to, to, to continue to gather assets in those vehicles. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's not necessarily just to say that all ETFs perform well throughout, right? Because especially with passive ETFs, you're tracking a benchmark in which you don't really see an adaptation to current conditions. You're dependent on what has done well in the past. And, you know, the, the, bas the underlying basket doesn't really change much unless there's inclusions or exclusions from, from the underlying index. Let's uh, talk about the different kinds of ETFs. You mentioned passive. Just, uh, you know, that is the more traditional ETF. That was the tips that started it all um, and continues to get most of the, in most of the inflows. Um, but uh, so what is a passive ETF? And there are other kinds, too, that have come out since. Yes, you're absolutely right. This is the number one myth about ETFs, that all ETFs are passive and all mutual funds are active. Right. And that's not really true. They're both very similar vehicles. And like you mentioned in your introduction, to get exposure to a basket of securities. Right. You can buy the same stuff in an ETF as you can buy in a fund. But the difference is in the way that you manage those securities. So a passive fund, what you're doing is replicating an index based on market cap. So you're basically buying up the most of the biggest company. So if Apple's the biggest company in the S&P 500 and you're buying an S&P 500 ETF, that's going to be your largest holding. And you go down all the way to the smallest holding, which gets the smallest allocation. And that's what we call passive investing. So you're replicating something only based on size. On the complete flip side of that is active management, where you have portfolio managers. And this is where Fidelity has historically, you know, has been our bread and butter because we've got, you know, thousands of analysts worldwide, a number of great portfolio managers, which have added value over time. What they're trying to do is actually differentiate themselves, not necessarily as much as possible, but to differentiate themselves from those market cap weighted indices to try and outperform that said index. So what they do is, you know, they go through financial statements. They look at various variables, ratios, metrics, um, meet with management teams to understand the differences between various investments and companies. So by doing that, what they're trying to do is eliminate some of the companies from the broad index. So that's one way to create what we call active share. So basically differentiation, or you can increase the weight of a stock, reduce the weight of a stock in order to beat a benchmark because each portfolio manager has their own benchmark that they're trying to outperform. And uh, that's really the complete polar opposite. And then the third category, we call it the fidelity factor here, obviously, because we're at fidelity. But another way to say it is either smart beta investing, quantitative investing, and it's really a hybrid approach between the two other extremes where we're trying to systematically pick stocks. So there's not a portfolio manager, you know, pulling strings on a daily basis. But instead of using the market cap as the one defining trait to pick a stock like passive, we're going to look at fundamental characteristics, profitability valuation. We're going to look at the volatility profile of a given stock, its dividend yield. These are all identifiable characteristics that we've found over time tend to actually better predict performance than size. So that's another way to approach investing. And these three types are the main ones. Pretty much every ETF will fall into one of these three categories with a few exceptions, like say alternatives. But you know that's maybe a subject for another time because it's such still a slim portion of the market. But just to give a perspective on how this, this dynamic in terms of assets is changing. When I started my role, you know, close to four years ago at Fidelity in the ETF side, it was about 75% of ETFs were passive. 
we're down to about 66% in Canada now. So there's a lot more growth and you're seeing a lot more new products on the active side and on the smart beta side. This is, you know, I think uh, done in from, from the asset manager side to offer differentiated strategies and, exp- and access to investors to maybe a bit more of a sophisticated approach that in the long term, hopefully will will reap benefits from. Um, so the active uh, uh, structure in an ETF. So yes, active, I think people do think traditionally of mutual funds. Um, but if you put that active in the ETF structure, I guess, what do you get? You mentioned some of the benefits of ETFs. Do you still get all those benefits? Why put that active structure in an ETF form? Yeah, I mean, it's realistically, it's it, it's going to be the same as if you would buy, say, an active strategy in a fund. It's it's not going to be different in terms of what you're going to get from a performance standpoint. The difference will be in the way that you trade it. And that's really the one advantage that the ETF could provide for those investors that are looking to trade in, you know, throughout the day. Whereas your fund, if you're buying it, you know, either through a financial advisor or you can buy funds now, you know, on, on, on brokerage um, accounts, you're going to get end of day pricing. That's how a fund works. So it's going to basically the, the fund company is going to provide you the value at the end of the day. And that's what you buy it at. Whereas your ETF, you're able to see in real time how the value of that portfolio changes. And you can do that with an active product. You can do that with a passive product. The one, uh, the one thing that was holding back, let's say, active ETFs is historically, and this goes going back more than you know five years, because it's actually been in place for a couple of years now, where you don't necessarily have to be fully transparent on exactly what you're doing to investors with active management. And that's really, if you think of a portfolio manager that's day in and day out grinding to you know, do the research and, and, and provide your secret sauce, if you will, you don't necessarily want to be telling everyone every end of day what you're doing. Because with uh, ETFs historically is, given it trades on an open market, you would have to disclose exactly what's in the portfolio at all times. That's not the case anymore. Because funds, for example, you get your top 10 at the end of every month and you get your full holdings at the end of each quarter. Regulators in Canada have now got more comfortable with the idea that, yes, market makers who are offering you the price on your ETF will see that. But you're not necessarily going to see that as an investor so that you can't necessarily front run our portfolio managers and then impact, if you will, you know, the other investors in the portfolio. So I think that's been one of the big changes for active. But in terms of what you get in terms of investment feel, it's going to be the same as if you're buying a fund uh, other than the trade. And you still, so on the ETF side, you're still getting that top 10 funds. You're still getting that same kind of uh, insight that you would get with a mutual fund. Yes, absolutely, so in, absolutely. In terms of, um, I mean, I know Fidelity is now, uh, you know, launching a suite of active ETFs, but sort of generally, I mean, what sorts of areas do you think are, are active going into? I mean, are they replacing kind of the S&P 500 funds or are these sort of complementing what's already out there with something different? That's a that's a great question. And actually, um, there's been a lot more uh, talking about this in the ETF industry globally uh, about this. You know, where's the next leg of growth going to come from in the ETF industry? And a lot of experts are saying it's going to be from the active side. Why? Because how many more S&P 500 ETFs do you need? Right. right. So at one point, that area of the market exists. It's a vehicle that can be used. It's probably has a place in a, in a diversified portfolio. But what we're seeing now is a lot more of uh, high active share strategies. So things that are very different from a benchmark, things that is extremely hard to replicate from an individual investor standpoint. So 
whether that's areas of the market that are tougher to trade on an individual basis, or it's an expertise that's provided by an asset manager that, you know, for example, I mentioned we have a thousand portfolio managers across the world. It's very hard for you as an investor to pick out uh, a mid cap uh, emerging market stock. Like, how would you go about finding that? It's very hard to do. You know, picking a large cap U.S. growth stock, you know, it's pretty easy. Um, not necessarily to say that it's, it's you know, you're always going to pick the right one, but you could have taken any one of the fangs, you know, 15 years ago, thrown a dart at the board, picked one of the five, and you, you would have done quite well. Whereas if you look at markets where there's more information asymmetry, where it's harder to find, uh, you know, these opportunities, that's where active management really shines. So you actually see areas like small caps, emerging markets, even Canada to a certain extent, because it's such a top heavy index with energy and with financials that it's easier to create active share for portfolio managers and to, to outperform in the long term. Whereas, say, an S&P 500 ETF, and I've mentioned it a few times already, the reason why is because that's one of the more efficient markets, right? So buying a passive U.S. equity strategy is not the same at all as buying, say, a passive Canadian strategy. So that's where, you know, we're seeing if we're talking about, you know, the lineup that we're launching here at Fidelity, uh, you know, whether it's an innovators type strategy with with a manager like Mark Schmel, where he's very active, you know, high active share will even do, go into areas that are not really easy to trade from an in, a direct investor standpoint, like private companies. Well, that's something that's unique. Right. And that's something you can't really get uh, by trading stocks yourself. So that's where I think the growth will be coming from. It's not going to be you know, a core U.S. manager, it's going to be those more differentiated type portfolio managers. Um, can we, let, let's talk a little bit more about the fidelity aspect of this. And you mentioned Mark. And so are the same fund managers who work on the uh, mutual fund side? Are they working on the ETF side? And, and how are they constructing uh, these portfolios? Yeah, so for, for the most part, they won't even really know <laughs> that they're managing an ETF. Because what we, what we're doing is we're, we're simply creating another series. So basically it's the same portfolio, same holdings with the one exception being, uh, the innovators, uh, ETF that we're launching being, uh, for, for numerous reasons. I won't, I won't go into the details, but for, for a manager, it's not going to be much different. It's going to be the same way. Go, they're going to go about their business the same way as they would in managing their fund. Um, and, and what that does is, you know, whether you're buying it in a fund or an ETF, you're going to get a very similar investment experience. Uh, and, and it allows for, for similar flexibility also. Uh, so it's not like you're constrained from a trading standpoint. You're not constrained from a market cap standpoint. So, uh, yeah, you're going to get all the full advantage of the, uh, of fidelity anyways with, the, with our lineup, uh, in, in saying that you got boots on the ground doing the research for you and still being able to, you know, to buy it in an ETF format. So we're really excited about this launch and I think we're going to be very innovative in the industry being uh, historically, you know, a, a leading firm on the mutual fund side, uh, actually the largest private asset manager in the world, right? So uh, that's what we do. And we're happy to be bringing that to Canadian investors. How, how does, um, you also, I mean, you mentioned whatever, a thousand analysts uh, across the world. Tell us a little bit about how the analysts and the fund managers interact. How do ideas get generated and then ultimately get into these funds? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, so what we have is, like I said, we've got more than thousand analysts worldwide and, and each analyst has a given comp like set of companies that they cover and that they're every day looking over their, you know, whether it's, you know, it's times for earnings season, they're going through financial statements. 
they're looking at opportunities uh, in distress. They're looking at valuation, you know, valuation gaps between peers. They're looking at all of these different, you know, fundamental characteristics. And then those analysts report to the portfolio managers in which they work in tandem with, provide good buy ideas, even sell ideas in certain cases, and then hold ratings. So basically giving each stock their, you know, I guess, uh, own rating or, or, or uh, perspectives. And then those get incorporated into the portfolios. And not every stock that we have a buy rating on goes into a portfolio. That's not the way it works. It's just that we're continually providing up-to-date fundamental research on pretty much every stock out there, given the sheer size of our analyst group. So whether it's, you know, a, a, like I said, a small cap stock, say in China, or whether it's a large cap stock in Canada, we're likely going to have some knowledge about what's going on behind the scenes. And, you know, we mentioned boots on the ground, like meeting with management teams, interacting with them. Uh, what are they doing from a sustainability standpoint? What are they doing to improve their margins over time? How are they managing their competitors? How are they trying to, you know, fend off, you know, in, in an industry, for example, that's in a, you know, a secular uh, decline? That doesn't necessarily mean it's not a good investment It's if it's very cheap, but you need to understand where uh, the head's at for managers. And that's the only way to do that is not, you know, screening through uh, screening through data. It's to actually talk to these people. And with our sheer size, it gives us a lot of access. Right. We're able to meet with the top CEOs in the world and, and they're openly willing to talk to us because they know, uh, you know, once again, the sheer size and the, and the money that we can move around at Fidelity. So that's a huge advantage. Uh, especially in Canada, where, uh, you know, a, a lot of the firms that, that that offer this type of active management tend to be banks or tend to be, you know, smaller asset managers that don't have the resources to go all across the world. In, in um, you know, in this market like we're in now, where it's been up and down, we're still seeing inflation, uh, you know, interest rates are, are higher, a lot higher than they were, you know, last year. So um, how does maybe active... Uh, kind of play into in, into an environment where it is uncertain, where you are seeing volatility um, versus maybe, you know, the last 10 years where kind of markets just sort of went up. Yeah, it, it's 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 tough to beat the market when everything's doing well. Right. <laughs> um, you know, we've got, obviously we've got managers that did that, but hmm. uh, it's a time to shine when things are choppy and when there's opportunities that are rising and there's a bit of stress put on certain sectors, on certain industries. And you can really take advantage of those opportunities having done the homework beforehand. And, uh, you know, some examples is also just being tactical in nature. Uh, so switching from, you know, if you look at, uh, if you bought, let's say the S&P, an S&P 500 ETF, and I'm using that example because it's the most popular once again. Uh, but, it's very tech heavy. Why? Because that's what's done well over the past 10 years. The next 10 years doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be like it was in the last 10 years. And it's not to say that all these secular growers and, you know, the cloud space and in the, uh, you know, metaverse and all these, all these different subsectors in the tech space are not going to grow. It just maybe means, you know, their, their, their valuation premium might come down. And that's something that you can't adjust if you're buying a passive ETF. You're still getting close to 30% in tech. If you're buying a U.S. market uh, type passive ETF, but a portfolio manager can adjust to going to sectors that maybe were out of favor. Think of last year, an active manager could have gone and, and, and a lot of them did going overweight to smaller sectors like energy. Uh, in Canada, obviously, it's a big sector, but in the U.S. is a small sector. Um, so you're able to adjust. Same thing for geographic mix. A lot of these mandates are global in nature. So 
basically we're giving our portfolio managers flexibility to move through us canada international em as we go through an economic cycle um where markets like canada and emerging markets tend to be more risk on and more uh or, or tend to perform better in in the early cycle phase because they're more cyclical in nature so a bit more financials exposure a bit more energy materials things like that which tend to do well as we re, uh, you know i guess the economy uh, recovers so you're able to take advantage of inflection points because Pat, you know, your, your index is only looking at past and it's not thinking about the future. That's really where active management can, 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 can help and position ourselves for potentially upcoming events or realities. Um, so huge advantage when there's a momentum shift, which we've seen already, like it feels like four times since the COVID-19 pandemic, right? Um, and, and that's also why you've seen a lot of active managers do, do, do quite well. But you still need a diversified portfolio and there's lots of good ETFs that are passive, active, as you said, smart beta. So how would you construct a portfolio of ETFs with all of these kinds of different types of ETFs? I'm assuming you don't just do active, you know, or, or maybe not just do passive. How do you get like a well-rounded portfolio with all of these kinds? Ooh, and this is going to be, once again, everybody take this with a grain of salt because everybody's got a different, you know, reality in the way that they want to invest. And because uh, obviously passive, it's the cheapest. Let's be honest here. It is the cheapest. If you're, you know, really thinking fee sensitive, which we at, we know is not necessarily the right way to think, because at the end of the day, you want the best net return. Right. It, it doesn't matter what you're, if you're paying a portfolio manager 15 percent, but he's outperforming by 20, you're still net positive. It does, right. So and, and nobody's getting paid 15 percent. That was just a, a theoretical <laughs> right. example here. Yeah. But, um, you know, so I think there is a place for for a bit of everything. And, uh, you know, once we mentioned earlier, some of the more fragmented markets or markets where there's less ease of trading, that's really where you're going to want your, your your active management. So in spaces that are a bit more gray. Right. So small caps is a good example. Emerging markets is another example, uh, you know. Um, companies that are in the higher growth segment also, because, you know, it's not every company that's growing at 50% that's going to become profitable. Uh, but to, 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 to have that perspective of an active manager that works in that field can help you a lot. Um, so, you know, some things are probably worthwhile. Uh, another thing that we, we've been talking about equities quite a bit, but fixed income is another area where active managers can help tremendously. And, and smart beta also. So just basically quantitative filtering of certain securities. What you're trying to do, especially on the fixed income side, is what we've seen is you're dependent on issuance patterns. So if the government of Canada decides we're going on a, another massive, you know, spending run, uh, like we have for, 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 for a little while, um, well, they're going to issue a lot more bonds, but maybe you don't necessarily want every single bond that they're issuing as part of your bond index. But unfortunately, you're dependent on that if you're buying passive. You know, an active manager can play on what we call duration, which is the sensitivity to interest rates. So maybe you buy bonds that are lower in terms of maturity and lower duration. So basically come to come to a, to a target date quicker. Uh, you get paid back quicker, if you will. Um, those are all things that active ma active bond managers can do and go into sectors that are not very big. Same concept as equities, but with fixed income, it's even more important uh, because you can manage not only that duration I was mentioning, but also credit quality. So maybe in times when the economy is getting better, you're going to want to be buying these companies that are a bit more risky from a credit standpoint because, you know, they were able to refinance and, you know, these are the opportunities arise eventually. But if you're buying a passive index, you're just not getting any of those. Right. So uh, I think 
every but, everywhere where there's less liquidity, you're, you want active manager there. Right. So active manager there, but some of the bigger things, you still might want a S&P 500 ETF that, you know, that's kind of a foundational ETF. You could still do that as passive um, and, and combine those various styles. Active, Absolutely. Passive. You, and it's not like, it's not, ex and that's, I think what's, um, and I don't know who's responsible for this, but <laughs> there's a lot of people responsible for this. <laughs> it was, it, it, we've made it like a divisive thing yeah. that you, you're either, I don't believe in active management and you go full passive or it's the opposite is like, you know, I've found active managers that outperform over long periods. And I'm only, I only believe in active management. And when in reality you can have a mix of both and you know, it's, you know, there's a reason why you don't eat the same thing every day, right? Like it, you, you can get that same type of offering, if you will, with your investments. Um, or you can consult multiple types of professionals for certain services you require. It's, it's kind of the same thing for, for investment management. And, uh, you know, like you said, like an S&P 500 ETF can be very well paired with an active manager in Canada. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go all passive or all active. This is a very wide gray zone. Right. And it, I, you know, I have noticed that change over the years too. the combination the, it used to be kind of divided. Now, now it's certainly the conversation is more about kind of getting this diversified portfolio with all sorts of different managers and styles. Um, and if you and if anyone does, uh, you know, need some advice, you could always talk to a financial advisor as well here. Just want to make that clear. Um, just before we wrap up, what are some ETF uh, trading best practices that you've seen? Oh, this, this is a very good little segment that we can wrap up with because um, ETFs aren't stocks. Stocks aren't ETFs. And I think a lot of investors probably listening in have traded stocks before. Maybe you're newer to trading ETFs. Maybe you have traded ETFs. But there's at least I'd say you know, three really good tips. First of all, try to avoid the, the open of the market. So the first 30 minutes and the last 30 minutes. The reason that's usually when there's more volatility. That's usually when there's a lot more orders. And that also means your spread that you're paying is going to be wider. And what I mean spread is basically the difference between with what uh, uh, people are willing to sell and what you're willing to buy at. And that basically is a, a cost, an underlying cost. So you want to avoid the first 30 minutes and the last 30 minutes. Second, you always want to put limit orders and not market orders. Uh, this is true for, for stocks also, I believe, but definitely for ETFs, because uh, if you look at a limit order, it's going to allow you to make sure that you get a certain price and you don't get what we call erosion. And basically, the larger your trade, the more important this is. So keep that in mind. Use the limit order. Put it in at the price that you want. And usually, if you want to ensure that you get execution as fast as possible, that's going to be the ask price. So you're going to put a limit order on the ask price. You're generally going to get filled. And when you're selling, vice versa as the bid. If you're willing to be patient, you can put it somewhere in the middle. But sometimes the market price isn't reflective of the actual underlying value of the trading basket. So use limit orders. Third is be wary of the underlying holdings that you have in your ETFs, which means if you're buying anything international, those markets don't open and close at the same time as our markets. So when I said don't trade at the last 30, uh, the, the first and last 30 minutes, you know, don't really trade international uh, ETFs that hold international stocks or bonds. Don't trade them at a, after 11 o'clock or 1130 at most. That's usually when spreads will get wider because market makers are going to protect themselves to say, I don't know what it's going to open at tomorrow. So I can give you a price now, but things might change when I can actually trade on these stocks for you. So those are, you know, some tips and tricks, um, fairly basic, but, you know, can save you a couple bucks when you're trading uh, your ETFs. That is some good advice. I didn't know those. That, that's that's awesome. Uh, we are going to have to wrap it up now, but uh, 
it's uh, you know lots going on in the ETF markets, and I'm sure we'll chat again about uh, about what's going to happen uh, in the future. But thank you so much for being here. Always a pleasure, Brian. Thank you, everyone. And thank all of you for joining us today. As always, if you have suggestions on future topics or guests you'd like to see on the show, please share your ideas with us. I'm Brian Borzakowski. Thank you for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash howtobuy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you. See you next time.